The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point of Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening, we are streaming live on wefs.fsu.edu and are also on air locally on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee, Florida. If you'd like to call into the show, feel free to dial us up at 850-644-3871. And as always, if you miss this show or any other future shows, you can always go back and listen to us on the Tomahawk Talk podcast. Available anywhere you got your podcasts at. And back from spring break, this is your host, Gabe Tisnes. And back with a vengeance is the sports world with storylines everywhere you look. All the stars have lined up for an awesome first show back since, since break. And joining me as always is my superstar co-host, sporting a shaved head in solidarity with me, William Haynes. William, how you doing, bud? Doing great, Gabe. Great to be back, as you mentioned, from the, the spring break hiatus that we had. We did have Luke and, and Brett, a couple of alums, fill in with the show after Brady came back and all that, but excited for us to all be back here. And as you mentioned, I'm coming back. I, I shaved the, the long curly flow down to a quarter inch. You did the same similarly, and I see our two panelists who are sporting some fresh cuts as well. So not too often you get four fellas in the same studio rocking the kind of haircuts that we have. But, yeah, some really exciting news to talk about uh, and a lot of sports to get into tonight. Yeah, as you said, we're all sporting our A game for, for first show back since break, only about a month since school is, is over. So we're going to have to try to do our best here with all the storylines that we got in our hands. And, yes, you probably heard it right. It was Gene Deckerhoff calling the 2013 National Championship for Florida State uh, at the start of the show. We decided to... You know, give him a little bit of a do because, uh, as breaking news had this past week, he is retiring from broadcasting in the near future. After the spring football game, it appears that his time calling FSU football games will be coming to an end. But before that, and helping us tackle all the other news regarding NFL free agency, March Madness, Formula One's season opener, and my favorite story by far, Barcelona destroying Real Madrid, are our panelists, Jack Oliaro and Jackson Bakich. How are you guys doing? Doing right. Doing great, can't complain. You know, just really excited to be here. And if I was doing any better, I, I'd. Where would you be? I, I'd be dead. <laughs> you yeah, would be dead. I, I'd be dead. And, you know, real quick, Gabe, you said Vengeance. Did you uh, did you see the new Batman movie? Oh, we sure did. Yeah. We, I think we all have seen it, right? Solid movie, right? Uh, I believe so. Pretty decent. Pretty I, would pretty be decent. The, I would be the odd one that wow. out there. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was that great. I think we talked about it on what? our last show before break. It did um, make a great initial impression, but yeah. it's it's worn on me. It was definitely too long, almost three oh hours. But but it was it was a riveting picture. Love I can long say movies. That. I know we we have a lot of time to fill, but real quick, I just gotta say it was not necessarily the greatest movie from a cinematic standpoint, but from I thought it had a lot of cool shots. But from a Batman mm. fan, it was a really really good movie. Stay with a lot of storylines. Did you like the, the Batman universe? I thought the Riddler was. I, I love Paul Dano. He was yeah. really great. Really great. Excuse me. And there will be blood. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, he was perfectly cast. Did you, did you see Prisoners? I did see Prisoners. See, that, I, he's great that's, in that that's where I remember him most from. He, he's just so good in that movie. And I think they, they wanted to do the exact same thing with the earlier. Correct. They yep. in, that, in that role. But, Jack, bring us back to the sports world. What's been the, the biggest thing for you this past week or so? There's been a lot of buzz, whether it be off the field or off the court or whatever sport we're playing. Um, but the thing that's caught my attention is Formula One. Mm. That is, that's caught my, my, enti- my entire family watches it. We love it. And what a start they've had, and we'll get into that later. But what a sports lineup we have ready to go. This Sheesh. one of our going to be most packed shows in a, a while. It's exciting. While. It is exciting beyond doubt. But as always, shout out to Scott in the production booth. He's always helping us make us sound our best selves. But let's get into it because we we really don't have time to just 
sit here and chat about other stuff. We got to touch, first of all, on Gene Deckerhoff ending his 43-year run as the voice of the Seminoles. Everyone knows Gene, I think, here in Tallahassee. Um, probably most people from the ACC or even college football, they, they, just, they just know about this great man who who's really given it all to the the, the, the the craft, the skill that it is broadcasting. He he made it uh, something special, something that everyone wanted to tune in and obviously watch the, the Florida State Seminoles play, but more than anything, just hear the, the passion that this man had for the sport. Um, it, it's it's kind of sad, but I think it's kind of time for him to you know focus on his family and other great things about life. So um, I think he's still going to work in some sort of role with the Buccaneers. I think he's still slated for one more season, right? William? Yeah, the announcement was that he was going to finish finish up that contract, which is to believe to be this year. He said, you know, I'll finish the contract and hopefully get myself another Super Bowl ring after mm, uh, Tom Brady yeah. came back. A little story that broke out in spring break, that that was <laughs> that was Tom Brady coming back, of course. We haven't been able to talk about it. William is a little bit happy about that, I think. But getting back to Gene, I mean, yeah, I, I knew about him mostly about, you know, his time with the Seminoles, but even you know, calling the 2002 Super Bowl for the Bucks, and uh, obviously recently with the the Chiefs one, uh, this man has been one of the few to be able to. I think actually no, he's been the only one to call a national championship game and a Super Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. He's got to be one of the only ones, uh, and he's he's called um, some big time basketball games as well. A lot of people or some people forget that that while he did football for 43 years he did basketball first for almost uh five more years so he was the voice of the basketball team for almost 50 back when they were playing in Tully gym tiny Tully is, is what he called it in his recent interview um but but by my by my mark one of the best broadcasters really to ever do it um i think his impact on tallahassee cannot be overstated you mentioned uh just the kind of relationships that he's had with people we all have personal stories um i think i remember when willie taggart first got hired and and at a booster event down in tampa he uh met with me and he even recorded my voicemail that's just the kind of guy (laughs) that he is um but i mean i think about my own personal memories with gene I, i grew up going to florida state games uh, I, I remember hearing Gene on the radio before I even knew what football was. I mean, that was just the, the voice that was being throughout our house in the car. Um, and I think a lot of fans kind of identify him with that. And, and really, Gene Deckerhoff is Florida State sports. He did baseball for 25 years. He did it all. It's crazy. Yeah, I remember watching Florida State football games at home, and I remember purposely trying to sync up the radio call with TV just because of – not necessarily because the ESPN or – the ABC sportscasters were inadequate, but Gene Deckerhoff is just a class above and everything that he's done. Um, I was able to speak to him at the Jacksonville State game, as funny as that is. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, he was asking me about my family, and he remembered, you know, my mom's name, my dad's name. He remembered, you know, where my two sisters are living you know, and my brother. I mean, he he's, has this insane memory. and uh, But he didn't have to remember all that if he didn't want to. You know, he's just a very personable, wonderful man, and uh, I hope he enjoys retirement for all that it's worth. Yeah, I'm just going to read a quote um, from his retirement um, article on, on Seminoles.com. Quote, it has been a lifetime of great moments, great players, great coaches, great games, great memories, and most of all, great Seminole fans. A life's work that reads like a best-selling novel played out on the radio. I have been blessed. Thank you, FSU. End quote. I mean, I never got the the opportunity to speak to him but I mean from all accounts and purposes it seems like he's a terrific human being uh, obviously one of the best broadcasters that's ever called college football games and um, I mean we're, we're all gonna miss him I, I, I'm not looking forward to 
next season uh, either by venue of the the Seminoles playing on the field or actually getting to hear somebody call the games now that Gene's not going to be there. But, Jack, is there any memory that stands out from all the football games that we've watched uh, in Seminoles football? So I actually never grew up a – I didn't grow up a Florida State fan, um, so I never got to enjoy Mm. much of – you know him doing his craft, and um, but I, looking back through this, and uh, as we were going through this, yeah, from what I hear, he's you know he's touched some of us here. He's a, he seems to be a great human being. I've never personally met him, but uh, I would see him walk by, and like I knew who he was, and uh, I, it is a little disappointing because I feel like um, I feel like I wanted you know meet him at some point, and I I took the luxury of just seeing him walk by every basketball game because we were covering those, and I wish I maybe would have asked him something or or done something along those lines, but. Um, Oh well, but uh, no. I see. Uh, I really hope he enjoys retirement and um, leaves quite a legacy to behold. Yeah. And he's he's definitely going to stay around. I mean, he he's made his home in Tallahassee. He loves living here. You'll definitely still see him out at the various games. He'll still be at football and basketball and baseball. So, and that's the thing really that stands out maybe more than anything else is his pure love for Florida State sports. And I think that's why uh, the people that listen to him for all those years love him as much as they do because he loves it as much as we do. Yeah, he's called over 529 seminal football games. And obviously he still has a spring football game, so that might be his little 530 to make it a nice even number. Honestly, growing up, what stood out to me was that every time I would hear the FSU football games, I would expect that person to sound the same for any other football or sporting event. So that just you know raised the bar for, for all their commentators, and obviously not everyone can stand up to Gene. But yeah, definitely... Uh, excited for him to be able to spend more time with his family and enjoy the rest of his life. Uh, I, I w- can't even go into the many, many awards that he's received. He's He's been so decorated. He's definitely once in a generation. Jackson? And, you know, some of us here, a decent amount of us here, we've all had, you know, experience of trying to get our foot in the door and mm-hmm. play-by-play or color broadcasting for sports. And that's as hard as it is, um, especially when you know or even when you know you have – uh, video to back you up and you know what's going on but radio you have to paint that picture you have to be an artist in order to call radio broadcast games and he did it like he was slicing butter he was super smooth and he, he, I think he's like William said he, he's one of the best to ever do it and I, I hope uh, he goes down as one of those people and I'm sure he will Oh, he will. And once again, he's been calling FSU games since 1974, starting with basketball, then in 1979 football play-by-play duties. This is a time where, you know, TV wasn't as big. This is a time where social media wasn't a thing. So all the responsibility was on him to really paint the picture to, you know, showcase what FSU was. And he did the best that anybody could have in that moment. Um, And, yeah, it's just a remarkable uh, just testament of – what, what broadcasting is supposed to be, it definitely inspires me to, to be better each time that I get behind the mic, so can't thank him enough. But I think kind of moving on, unless William got one. I was just going to throw out his last broadcast for Florida State will be April 9th, uh, the Garnet and Gold Spring game, and he, uh, Ryan Kelly, V89 alum, did an interesting about 20-minute 20, 20 interview for WCTV uh, that came out today, and, and Gene was telling the story about that's how he got his start. Um, the, the main play-by-play guy, you know, if he was off during the spring game or wasn't there, uh, Gene would kind of fill in, and he said calling um, the games with all those stars that Florida State had back in the day and have that on his resume tape was eventually what landed him the main FSU football play-by-play job. So kind of ending his FSU career where it began, which mm. I think is a really cool story as well. You love to see it. Love to see it. Well, as we said before, 
this is a packed show, so we got to move on, unfortunately. Into other Florida State football, uh, not football news, women's basketball news. The all-time winningest coach for FSU, Sue Semra, is retiring today. Breaking news happened just a couple hours ago. Um, yeah, after her first year back, after, you know, having that little um, year off to care for her ailing mother, uh, the coach came back, Coach Sue came back, and uh, FSU women's basketball wasn't at its peak, but at the same time, there was still some sort of improvement there, I think. Uh, they made it back to the NCAA AA tournament. Um, and in general, she, she had a lot of issues with the injuries and, um, you know, just it seems like sports has been uh, rocky for most teams ever since the pandemic. And I think this is a team that's still trying to get back to its winning ways uh, before before the pandemic for her. She had to take a leave of absence. Um, and I was really looking forward to seeing her her second year. Uh, but unfortunately, that's not going to be able to it's not going to be possible. <laughs> but, yeah, some accolades for her. She had 16 tournament appearances in 24 seasons, three Elite Eight appearances, and HCC Coach of the Year four times. She is one of the best ones that Florida State has ever had, and you know, as well for women's college women's basketball. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it other than you know, whoever comes in after her is really gonna have some big shoes to fill. I know Brooke Wyckoff, a former player, filled in for her last year, so maybe they're gonna look into just keeping it inside the building but who knows maybe they'll bring somebody from the outside jackson and from what i've noticed from a lot of coaches that have a very long tenure is you can't be a crappy person and have a job like a head coaching job for a long long time you think of people like bobby bowden you think of people like leonard hamilton and you think of whoever um they all have the reputation at least at florida state of being great, great people. Because eventually, if you're a crappy person, even though you're winning, after 10 or 12 years, people want you gone, you know? So uh, truly just a testament to, to Coach Sue and how good of a person she was. Or she, still, she still is, excuse me. Um, but how good of a coach she was on and off the court. Uh, one thing that uh, I noted as uh, we were covering some basketball games this year is that uh, she did something that I've never really seen before uh, a couple of times, and uh, she would grab the mic. I, I don't know if it was from the PA, but she would grab a mic at some point and send a personalized message out to the fans who came out, uh, win or lose. It wasn't for every game, but it was for occasions uh, like their big win over, uh, I believe it was at the time, like 18th-ranked Notre Dame, had a huge win. And she sent out a personalized message along the lines of, like, we appreciate you, like, we appreciate you guys coming out and uh, go Knowles and sung along those lines. And I've never really seen any coach do that. Um, and like Jackson was saying, you don't get into these positions being a crappy human being. Uh, 24 seasons, 24 amazing seasons she's created. She's built the livelihoods for, um, built these um, incredible women who've come through this program and uh, truly leaving, again, another big set of footste uh, footsteps for whoever is coming in. So, Yeah, she, she represented the seminal way at its finest. I think for me, getting into sports media, I didn't really know much about women's basketball. Uh, as a whole but definitely not for FSU and you know getting to go to press conferences with her she was always nice she was always a class act um, and you know I can't stress this enough the winning ways the culture that she created for the last 20 years I mean she she did something that you know I think it's going to stand the test of time and uh, hopefully somebody can come in and you know keep that going but yeah I mean hats off to her <laughs> she's she's produced so many great players and um, I, I think that the Seminoles are gonna miss her. So you read off you read off the accolades and, and the kind of domination that she had in, in a sport in women's college basketball 
that is so tough to dominate because you've got teams like UConn that go multiple years without losing a single game. I mean, this, this is a all kinds of incredible teams at the top. So you mentioned the Elite Eight, eight appearances and, and, you know, two-thirds of our seasons they're going to the tournament. We learned as men's basketball fans, you know, making the tournament is not a given. It's a difficult thing to do. So um, and, and the kind of sport that this is, I, I'm really impressed with the legacy that she's left behind. Yeah, I mean, she – she had a lot of winning seasons, but even in seasons like this one that just happened, she was there through thick and thin. And, you know, she was always giving praise to her players. She was correcting them when they needed to. And uh, she, she was never going to quit on them. And, and, you know, that's something that's rare for coaches that are, you know, in, in for more than 25 years. Uh, like Jackson was saying, she was a, a great human. She is a great human being. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just remarkable to, to be able to say that Florida State had her for such a long time. So we'll see. What happens next season with who they bring in? Because they're going to have to, you know, do some, some not rebuilding, but definitely take the program into a new direction to hopefully go in, you know, higher hopes and whatnot. But shifting gears now, hard pivot into the NFL. We have a lot to talk about. I think this is one of the the biggest topics that we have today because there's been so many moves in free agency. With obviously, I think the first one. William, Tom Brady coming back from retirement. Of course he did. I think it wasn't even a month. Uh, how long was it since he since he said that he was done? I think it was like less than 50 days because I know the, the Major League Baseball lockout was longer than Tom Brady's initial retirement. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was enough for everyone to, you know, get all comfortable and, you know, have a, a smile on their face for, for a couple of weeks. And then, you know, the great... The great master comes back and, you know, everyone's going to have to tremble in the NFC side of things because the AFC is loaded and Tom Brady's coming back to Aaron Rodgers without Devontae Adams and, you know, Russell Wilson less NFC West. So we'll, we'll get into everything. Um, but first of all, we got to read off the, the main topics, of course. Tom Brady coming back. Deshaun Watson getting traded from the Texans finally to the Browns. Russell Wilson going from Seattle to Denver and Devontae Adams being traded to the Raiders for a first round pick and a second round pick for a wide receiver. So um, definitely a lot of m- moving pieces. Uh, I, I don't know where to even start, uh, but I guess we should start with, you know, Tom Brady, of course, uh, Jackson, wh- what's your biggest take with this? So the real question is, you know, we talk about, I don't, I, excuse me. I don't think I, enough people in the media are talking about this enough. You know, Brett Favre had his one foot in, one foot out. But here's the real question. How many times is Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. really going to play this retirement game? Thomas Edward Patrick Bartholomew Brady. Really? No, 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 no. There's no (laughs) Bartholomew. I looked it up right here just to make sure. I'm just messing with you. I could be wrong. No? No, no. We're good. All right. Yeah, we're good. But anyway, so how many times is he going to do this? I I think putting the over under at one and a half. Who's taking the over? You would, you would think that this is his last year. I mean, in his initial message, that that was the idea. Um, I think this is at the very least his last year with the Bucks. If he wants to go home and play for his hometown, does he have team one more year Niners. on his contract? Is this his last year on his contract? I think he's going to sign an extension so they can move cap money out uh, of this season. But yeah, I believe for right now he's just on contract for this year. Um, mm, I don't know. We'll see. I think I think he plays out this year, especially if he wins a ring. That's it. He wants to go out on top. And 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 Gabe mentioned the incredibly weak 
NFC. I mean, this is a, one of the easiest paths to the Super Bowl I think he's maybe had in his career. Is in a Mickey Mouse ring? That's what you're saying? <laughs> mm, <don't laughs> won't ever go that far. Um, I mean, he's going to have to beat a team in the AFC that, that's yeah. that's really good. But his, his path in the NFC will, will be there, and, and the Bucks did a good job of bringing a lot of guys back. So uh, the, the path is certainly there, I'll say that much. I just don't know who's in control. I mean, at first it seemed like Brady was in total control over his future and, and everything else, and then it seemed like, okay, family is becoming a priority. But now it's back to football. You know, he, he's he's got so much love for the game, so much passion that he doesn't know what to do with it. So uh, I think more than anything, once again, it's looking at the NFC. Like, like even the NFC South, the Saints are doing the most they can, but they're basically on the brink of a rebuild. And – Brady's just looking at everything in his path towards the Super Bowl, and it's like, okay, why wouldn't I come back? Of course, the, the Buccaneers are, you know, having to make do with their cap situation, but they'll be more than, you know, ready to compete once again. Uh, Brady is just such a great leader that I think they're going to be just as motivated as they've been the, the past few years. As long as injuries don't bite them in the back like they did last year, they should be at least in the NFC Divisional game, if not the NFC I mean, he led the league in passing yards and touchdowns. I mean, he's not no scrub anymore it's not like uh not like the Peyton Manning situation yeah it's not like anybody's trying to to force him out and he's like no I want to go out on, on my own on my own shield like no like he could probably play another two or three years if he really wanted to we're not escorting the old guy out we're keeping the old guy in correct and you know it's just incredible what he's been able to do like him or love him like him or hate him excuse me it, it is you know it just really unheard of I mean it's I mean, we always kind of joke around about LeBron's legacy, but, uh, you know, LeBron's kind of doing, he's kind of doing the same thing, playing until, in, you know, in his late 30s and really kind of changing the narrative that, you know, 40 years old is this ancient relic in sports history. You know, people like uh, Roger Federer, same thing, mm-hmm. Rafael Nadal, uh, same thing. They're playing, you know, well into their, after their prime years and, and being great at it. Yeah, I'm waiting to see when he retires what his, you know, answers are for for what made him so great this 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 late in his career. Obviously, we know about his avocados and and whatnot, but uh definitely it seems like he's doing the most. Uh but speaking of LeBron, his home state is getting a new quarterback in Deshaun Watson as he was traded from the Houston Texans for a fortune of capital and and draft and and money and everything else that they could could have possibly asked for. Houston is definitely Starting a new rebuild, which you know I'm kind of happy for them because this has just been a horrible situation. Uh, but for Cleveland, I mean, they're mortgaging their future and then some uh, for the chance to compete now in a loaded AFC, which to me it sounds like desperation. It sounds like a team that's looking at their mistake in Baker Mayfield and you know saying, hey, we should have been in the door to the Super Bowl, and because we missed it, we're not. So we're gonna try our best to make do with with this uh, little, you know solution at quarterback that you know he might still be suspended we don't really know all the ends and details about uh, his situation with with legalities but as far as on the field it seems like they're getting a bona fide top 10 quarterback am I right William well they're definitely paying for it that that's that's for sure And, and I think we can all be honest about what this was for the Cleveland Browns it was a panic move I mean we'll start with Baker Mayfield the former number one overall pick and um, really, not that he was going to be the guy that could take him across the finish line, but he got him back to the promised land, their first playoff berth in, in 20 years, and all these things that he did. And this year was playing with, a, I think, a broken collarbone basically the whole season. They go 8-9, and nine, you know, barely missed the playoffs by a game or two. And all of a sudden, he's frustrated during the offseason, 
and the Browns hit the panic button. I mean, Kevin Costner from Draft Day would would never would never dream of making a move like this. The Browns, um, <laughs> they give away uh, three first round picks, a third, two fours. Not only that to get him in the building, but once he does, to, to get Watson to waive his no trade because initially Deshaun had said, no, I'm not going to the Browns. The Browns said, how about we offer you the most lucrative quarterback contract in NFL history, $220-plus million, fully guaranteed. We've never seen that in the National Football League. So not only do you mortgage your future with the draft capital, you're in salary cap hell if something goes wrong with this. Think about the dead money. Um, and as you mentioned, it is still speculation at this point. But I, I really believe the NFL is going to try and, and drop a pretty hefty suspension on this guy because of everything that's been going on. You give all this up for a guy that might only play half the season? I mean, <laughs> the, depending on how this thing goes down, this could go back as maybe one of the worst moves of all time. This screams Cleveland to me. You know, I agree. It does scream Cleveland. But you have to remember, Kevin Costner fired his own dad. So, on draft day. So, you know, it's very possible he could have made that move. But this deal is so bad that I don't think he would have either. Even Kevin Costner got the draft picks back in the end. I mean, you're not getting those three number ones back. I can tell you that if right nobody now. Nobody drafts Bo Callahan. Come on now. <laughs> I would like to point out that um, the Browns, even last year, were a Chad Henney to Tyreek Hill completion away from making the AFC Championship. So... I mean, at that point, everyone was believing in Baker. Everyone was still on the Browns' turn at that point, thinking that they could actually do this. And just a little over a year later, he's gone. Deshaun Watson's in. This is a desperation move. This is unnecessary. It's just a year, and how could you lose faith that quickly in Baker Mayfield and let the outside media or outside voices influence that much? I don't think it's losing faith too quickly because even before last season, they were having conversations. What should we do with him? You know, his extension is coming up. I have never seen anything from Baker Mayfield to say that he deserves the top quarterback money that he was probably asking for. So I agree with the Browns and not re-signing him, but the way that they've gone about it is just just dangerous and just irresponsible. So, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the other quarterback deals that, that happened over the offseason, but this has got to be the worst one, I think. Yeah, but talking just strictly football, this probably has to be the biggest risk-reward trade I've ever seen in my entire life. Really, I mean, Ricky, people, Ricky Williams, maybe. Yeah, but but I'm talking about I'm talking about Deshaun Watson as a talent is like we said a top ten quarterback in the league. Now, he he is special. He he is a great great football player, and you know it's very possible he might not play however many games. That could be anywhere from eight to who knows, who knows. Yeah. It could be it could be zero. It could be. 17 it could be who knows but you know the amount of guaranteed now that's the thing guaranteed money it was it 220 to yeah right at that mark fully guaranteed fully guaranteed i mean that has to be the, the biggest risk reward trade but I, I definitely think the the risk the bad risk fully outweighs the reward yeah and you know we'll we'll kind of start wrapping up the first half of the show <clears throat> with you know the other team that almost had Deshaun in the building because the Saints and the Falcons were the last two teams running for him until they were completely out of the picture when, you know, Cleveland offered all the money and, and all the draft picks. So the Saints instead opted for Jameis Famous, a two-year, $28 million deal, I believe, uh, which to some it might be a little expensive, William. But to me, it seems like a pretty good bargain considering that he had the team looking pretty decent halfway through the season. And obviously, 
we didn't get to see enough. I think that's more than more than fair to say. But at the same time, this is a former first overall pick, a guy that's thrown for over 5,000 yards, a guy that had a lot of potential, and obviously, if his injury situation gets cleared up, he should be a competent starting quarterback for a team that's not financially stable right now. Yeah, I mean, anytime you go on social media, Jameis Winston is rehabbing the absolute heck out of that <laughs> ACL injury. I've never seen someone <laughs> take an ACL recovery as, as hard as he has, so I have no question that he's going to be back stronger than ever. I think the Saints are in a difficult position. They've got a defensive coach that they retained in Dennis Allen. You look at the offense, you've got Kamara. You might have Michael Thomas coming back. We don't really know what that's going to look like. The offensive line's been gutted a little bit. So on that side of the ball, you really don't have any stability in, in Sean Payton at, at the door as well. So maybe overpay a little bit for him. I didn't think he would get you know $14 million a year like he is. 21 uh, is fully guaranteed. But um, you know you keep the guy in the building that's been around that knows those guys. And I, that was really the only move available to them after Watson uh, bolted to Cleveland. Yeah, he just turned 28 in January. So he's still pretty young for a quarterback. And yeah, like you said, there's just not many other options. Obviously, there's been a lot of moving in the in the quarterback department in the in the offseason, but at the same time, the Saints just don't have the capital. They don't have the money, so they 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 really didn't have many options. Unless you're a Taysom Hill true, they're like some people are. Jackson. Pardon me, I, I don't have the uh, V89 folklore remembered in my cranium, but where was Jameis on the tier list? Do y'all remember? Scott, can you pull that up, Scott? Please, Scott. <laughs> um, I think we said um, he's at he's top fifteen though, right? He should be top fifteen, top twenty. I mean, to pay fourteen million a year only to have twenty one guaranteed. I would say two I would years, say I would comfortably say top twenty. I, I think that's a extremely fair deal. Yeah. for both sides. Yeah, for both sides. I, I I don't think that's I don't think that's overpriced at all. I think it might even be underpriced, um, because remember he, he was five and two. And it was looking absolutely stupendous. Threw for 5,000 yards. Granted, he threw 30 picks. But you cannot. We have we, Scott we got, coming in. The we booth. Scott. <laughs> Scott, you asked and yes. he shall appear. Yes. All right. So just for <laughs> an update, Jameis Winston was put in the Prove It tab on the tier list and was ranked number 17 overall. If you would like to check out the full tier list, please feel free to listen to Tomahawk Talk Graveyard Shift, available wherever you get your podcast. There you go. Thank yes. you, Scott, for that update. Um, we'll, we'll hear more from Scott in, in Seminole segment in just a second. But, yeah, just kind of wrapping up this first half of the, of the show there's, there's so much going on. Uh, we'll definitely try to regroup in, in, in the half. But, but yeah, Jameis, he's, he's staying in New Orleans. He's going to run it back at least one more year, I think. And it's going to be interesting to see who they pair him up with. Kamara seems to stay. The offensive line, you know, Toronto Armstead is maybe moving. So uh, the, the Saints squad is aging a little bit. Uh, so they're definitely going to need some younger pieces, especially at the wide receiver position. But, you know, maybe they can take it to Tampa and make it an NFC South that's just competitive enough because – the Atlanta Falcons and the Carolina Panthers do not seem like they're in it for this season, at least. Uh, but we'll, we'll get to hear Jack talk a little bit more about that in the second half of the show. You are listening to WVFest Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Good evening, everybody. I am Scott Clemens, and this is your Seminole segment. Starting off on the diamond, FSU softball picked up a series win this weekend over the Boston College Eagles. After losing the first match 4-0, the Eagles would upset the second-ranked Seminoles in extra innings, overcoming a stellar performance from FSU pitcher Danielle Watson. 
This, however, was as far as the Eagle could fly, with Florida State again winning the rubber match for 4 to nothing later on Sunday behind the swing of Kaylee Mudge, who went 3 for 4 at the plate with one RBI. With this win, the Seminoles improved to 27-2 and and will travel into the backwoods on Wednesday to take on the Troy Trojans. From the diamond to the courts, FSU women's tennis picked up their first conference win of the season on Sunday, defeating the Virginia Tech Hokies in Blacksburg by a score of 4-3. After falling behind early, Florida State would secure the doubles point behind the play of Petra Huell and Anna Arcadiano. And moving into singles, it would be Victoria Allen who would shine the brightest, closing out the last two sets by a combined score of 12-5 to to secure the win for the Seminoles. With this win, Florida State ends their five-game ACC losing streak and will look to continue this form when they welcome two top-five programs to Tallahassee, taking on the Duke Blue Devils this Friday and the North Carolina Tar Heels the following Sunday. That's all for tonight's Seminole segment. Now back to Gabe Tisnes and William Haynes in the studio. And we are back for the second half of Tomahawk Talk. Thank you so much, Scott, for that update on Seminole Sports. But we are back to talk about the NFL free agency, the NFL offseason. That's just a complete dumpster fire with all the news that we got. But, of course, just a couple hours ago, it was reported that the Atlanta Falcons are moving on from their longtime veteran quarterback, former MVP Matt Ryan, trading him to the Colts for a third-round pick, just a third-round pick. And our resident Falcons fan here, Jack Oliara, is going to break it down for us. So I want to talk about Matt Ryan and what he's meant to the Falcons because pending what happens in Indianapolis, uh, Matt Ryan is undoubtedly one of the most underrated quarterbacks of this generation. I'm sure he might be forgotten by some, but to Atlanta he will always be remembered. Now, I sort of missed the Michael Vick era as a kid. Um... And the first draft I really remember it was watching him go uh, in the third pick of the 2008 draft. They selected Matt Ryan, and that led to a career that had 59,000 passing yards, more career touchdowns than there are days in a year at 367, over 5,000 career completions, a first-team All-Pro in that 16-year where they went to the Super Bowl, an NFL Offensive of the Rookie of the Year, Player of the Year in that same 16-year, and that awesome MVP. And Matt Ryan meant a lot because, like, I still have a poster of him that I purchased for $10 at, a, at my local bookstore, still hanging in my bedroom wall. And while I'm not surprised by this pick, I'm sad to see him go. I, I saw the entire career of this guy who maybe didn't change football, but, you know, uh, changed the Atlanta sports world in terms of football and will be a key member of uh, that history. Um, so Matthew, Matthew Thomas Ryan, I love you and I will miss you. Thank you for everything. It's not been a good week for Atlanta, um, <laughs> losing uh, Freddie Freeman and Matt Ryan in the same week. But um, that uh, first one will be mentioned later. Oh, man, yeah. Some some praise for this, man. Holding back the tears for myself. It's rough, buddy. I, I was there, I think, two years ago with Drew, you know, yeah. leaving New Orleans. So I definitely had my, my, my pain, my, my tears coming down when I had to. Yeah, as a Falcons fan, I did not. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be rough for Atlanta, obviously, with without Matt Ryan. They already had one of the worst rosters in the NFL. So now it is definitely tanking season, my friend. Um, but I think it could be a good move in the long term, of course. Atlanta wasn't looking at anything promising, unfortunately, uh, in the near future. <laughs> I really don't want to make this a, a rant about Atlanta. But, you know, cutting ties right now is potentially a smart move for them with, you know, the Bucks playing the, the short-term game and the Saints trying to do a, a moderate rebuild, if you want to call it that. It seems like Atlanta's trying to get on that first foot uh, on the – on the next generation of, of whatever team dominates the NFC South. Carolina obviously does not seem like they're 
in, in much better shape. So we'll, we'll see what happens after this. But, you know, best of luck to Matt. He, he, he's getting uh, a, a playoff team roster in, in the Indianapolis and a good coach, I think, uh, a chance to do something in the end of his career. He's turning 37, so uh, he wasn't really going to do much in Atlanta for the next couple of years. So he'll be able to cement his case for the Hall of Fame, whatever that is, in the next couple of years in Indy. And really an interesting trade for, for Indianapolis because Matt Ryan has the largest cap hit in the NFL this year, around $38 million, um, or, or maybe 48 Uh I think Atlanta, they, they've got to take some of that yeah, money. There's no way they dump it all off to the Colts. They're paying 40 Um The Colts had a lot of cap space. There's a lot of things they could do. I know Jimmy Garoppolo was linked to them for a while. The Niners still might end up holding on to him. Uh, you look at all the quarterbacks that the Colts have run through in the past few years. They had Andrew Luck, then Jacoby Brissett, then they had uh, Phillip Rivers, Carson Wentz. So every year it seems like there's a new quarterback in the building. And uh, is he finally going to be you know, the right ingredient that they're missing in this recipe to get over the hump? They've got a great team around him. Probably the best rushing attack in the NFL if you combine that offensive line. And Jonathan Taylor, the running back, uh, their, their defense has been good as of late. So... Matt Ryan, I, I, it's disappointing in, in Atlanta that you know 28-3 will always kind of be his his legacy there. That in the years that followed, they were never really able to get back to that point. But this is this is the last call for Matt Ryan to finally do something. And if you're talking Hall of Fame candidacy, legacy, whatever, I mean, this is the chance that he needs to get it done because he's got a great squad around him. Yeah, like you're, you're looking at the AFC South. We we know how much of a dumpster fire that is as well. So he should be in the playoffs, I think, for the, the next year or so. Uh, he's a very steady quarterback. He can definitely uh, get a team over the hump, I think. He he got them to the Super Bowl, and, and uh, he had Brady on the other side of things, so can't blame him too much. Uh, I think a lot of that was actually when Kyle Shanahan, not him. Uh, but obviously, 20-3 to three is, is going to be a big part of his legacy, unfortunately. <laughs> Jack's not very happy about that. But, um, yeah, I think it's it's a really smart signing for, for, for Indianapolis. You only give up a third rounder. You go from Carson Wentz to this. An obvious upgrade, I think, but also Washington gave you the draft picks that you used for this, so it ends up, you know, evening out. And um, yeah, speaking of really smart trades, I think Denver did one because did one as well because they're currently selling their ownership, and you know, with Russell Wilson coming into the building, the the, the market for the team immediately skyrockets. Uh, Denver suddenly looks like a, a competing team for the playoffs. Obviously. We're going to talk about how loaded the AFC, AFC, AFC West is. Um, but, I mean, to me, this is a really good trade. You know, when you look at Indy, like you were saying, William, they've had issues replacing quarterbacks since Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning. And Denver has had the same issue, obviously, with Peyton Manning uh, being the last one. Um, I'm not going to go through the, the countless amount of names, Trevor Simeon and, and Paxton Lynch and who, who knows who, who else. But, yeah, Denver, they have weapons. They, they have a pretty decent team, so... I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how Denver uh, shapes up the the AFC AFC West side of things because we all expect the Chargers and the Chiefs to be competing at the top and then obviously the Raiders they get Devontae Adams so all of a sudden it's just who who knows what, what's going to happen to the the Chiefs dynasty that was supposed to happen. It, it's tough. I, I think the the momentum for Kansas City. I know they've made the four straight AFC Championship games at home. Um, really, Patrick Mahomes choked away that game in the fourth quarter in overtime against the Bengals. So, like I said, uh, they got Juju for about $10 million. They finally get him in the door. Uh, Smith-Schuster, I think, was supposed to sign with them last year, decided to stay for Big Ben's last year. They finally 
get him in the building now. But um, I think Denver, that's a smart trade. The defense that they have, they only had to give up two first-rounders, two second-rounders, and then Drew Locke, tight end Noah Fant, and defensive lineman Shelby Harris. So, man, it's a fine return for Seattle, but 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 it's something that uh, Denver could afford. And I think the, the Raiders really the team – that I'm most impressed with. I don't know how this goes under the radar, but they made two of the best additions in this entire offseason, adding, in my mind, the unquestioned best receiver in the National Football League in Devontae Adams. The Green Bay gave him away for essentially nothing. That that trade was pathetic. And then they get the, the man in Chandler Jones, who has the most sacks in the NFL since 2012. So they get the best pass rusher, the best wide receiver, paired with the team that already had made the playoffs a season ago. I honestly believe, and you throw in the, the additions, the charges they made with Justin Herbert, we're talking about probably the best division in the NFL I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, if it shapes up to be that way, I mean, what a season do we have ahead of us? Uh, you know, the Chargers getting Khalil Mack, J.C. Jackson, two really good additions in that defense that, you know, Justin Herbert really needs to, to, to help him with. And the Raiders, they were already in the playoffs. They were already, you know, not knocking on the door perhaps, but they were making the moves they needed to make without even a steady head coach. Obviously, we, we saw what happened with Gruden there. But, yeah, the Raiders just they have a really good roster. So it's going to have to come down to can Derek Carr pair up with Devontae like they did in college and, you know, link up to some somewhat of a Aaron Rodgers-Devontae level. And then can their coaching staff get it together so that they can compete with the Andy Reeds and, and you know, all the great coaches that the NFL has. Um, for me, I think the Chiefs are still going to be – probably the, the front runners but I mean the Chargers I, I think the Chargers are still second and then the Raiders and the Broncos they can easily win it I mean a, any of these could win it because that's how crazy the NFL is no Bengals love just off of the Super Bowl we'll, we'll talk about the Bengals too Jackson uh because they 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 hired some people they, they finally spent some of that money that they you know they've been holding on to they're a pretty young team so we'll see what, what happens with Joe Burrow in year three I believe right that's right yeah. yeah, I mean, fresh off of a Super Bowl appearance, uh, Willie and I were talking about this before the show. They just signed a guard, right? They signed two. Two guards. Lael Collins and Alex Kappa, I believe. Kappa can play tackle or guard, but Lael Collins has been primarily a guard. They can actually both play both positions. And I think that's huge. I mean, a team that's coming off a Super Bowl appearance shored up the greatest weakness on the team. I mean, that's probably not being talked enough either. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And... To have a left tackle for someone for, with Joe Burrow, we know who can move. That man, he's, he's shifty, shysty Joe Burrow, you know? So we know he can move. As long as he has that left side protected, you know, th- they can do some damage, whether it's on the ground or in the air. And being, uh, golly, having a an offensive line is the most underrated parts of football. I know I'm going to sound like a huge fundamentalist that, you know, freaks out about not boxing out while he's watching basketball. But, you know, if you do not have a good offensive line and watching Florida State football has been, uh, has led me to open my eyes to that. But not having a good offensive line does not allow you to win in the fourth quarter, does not allow you to keep your offense on the field. If you can't convert on third down, if, if you cannot keep your defense off the field, then you're just going to be tired. She's going to be tired. The last two Super Bowls have come down really to failures of offensive lines. Uh, Joe Burrow gets sacked a number of times, and uh, Patrick Mahomes, the, thing, the, the main thing coming out of that is that he can't get protected. So while offensive lines are you know fundamental and 
stuff that you know people don't want to talk about on media and all that. It's huge. And signing two guards, the Bengals really had one job, and that was get linemen, get linemen in the building who could block Joe Burrow. And maybe this isn't the end of it. Maybe they could do more, but they're already doing a good job. So I can see them maybe not repeating the success, but there's, there should be no reason as to why they can't. I think one of the smartest offseasons, I mean, they tagged Jesse Bates, who is kind of the heart of that defense. They bring in a tight end and Hayden Hurst, so give Burrow another weapon and ensure up their greatest weakness. Um, they had a lot of cap room, but they didn't go absolutely bonkers. They're still kind of playing within themselves. So I, I really don't think they could have played this offseason any better. Yeah, and another team in the AFC that got a pretty huge addition was the Bills with Von Miller. I mean, uh, now I'm not we're not, we're not maybe going to touch on the contract as much because you know the Bills are, are looking like a Super Bowl contender once again. But yeah, I mean for LA to let go of Von Miller after winning the Super Bowl, it's going to be interesting to see how they look like uh, in the next year. I think the Bills they're still a front runner for the Super Bowl, and um, yeah, I, I feel like that's another underrated signing. Um, he's He's getting old, but he was a huge part of the, the Rams' Super Bowl success. So um, other moves, you know, Aaron Rodgers stays in Green Bay. <laughs> we haven't even talked about that. Um, I think because it's forgettable. I mean, not yeah. only did he return to a team that, that was one and done in the playoffs, but they lost probably their best player outside of Aaron Rodgers. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, take the Green Bay Packers off the board for any type of prediction. They play in the weakest division of football. Sure, they may make the playoffs, but was what does it meant? I mean, really, I, I don't think they've they've got much to offer. Oh, you said it best. Jackson. Speaking of Green Bay, how about March Madness? Oh, man. Lately? <laughs> how about it, Jackson? That's a great way to transition because of it is March. It is almost the end of March, matter of fact. And we we have about 15 minutes left of the show. We haven't even talked about it. So let's go ahead and do that because number two Kentucky started off with one of the biggest upsets for March Madness. And, you know, there, there were so many of them. <laughs> I think everyone can kind of expect it, but also don't. That's the beauty of the sport. Uh, number five, Iowa, number six, Colorado State, LSU, and Alabama, and then number four, Illinois. Illinois. <laughs> they won despite trailing for 39 minutes and avoiding a huge upset. Um, I didn't make a bracket, so don't hate on me. Wow. But I want to hear about y'all's brackets because I'm sure they're doing really good. Hmm. Jackson's looking at me like, what are you, what are you, why? I actually didn't, didn't make a bracket either. I, I was prepared to talk about that on the show as well. I think y'all didn't th- this is bracket. an extremely cynical take, but I almost view it like, the way fantasy football is now march madness has used the bracket as an advertising tool to get people involved and interested i'm watching the games anyway i know my bracket isn't going to hold up yeah. two games into the tournament <laughs> i know why i'm here boo but the bracket pro bracket grows the economy benefits everybody hurts nobody <laughs> how, how do you not make a bracket but anyway <laughs> he just said <laughs> anyway anyway jackson how's your bracket doing we want to hear you know, it was actually doing – I was like 4-0 and at one point, and then Kentucky lost, and then Iowa lost, mm. and they were both in my championship game. Mm. So uh, I think it's theoretically impossible for my bracket to have any chance of being good, but in case, like, a bunch of teams disqualify themselves <laughs> mm-hmm. and they decide to bring Kentucky and Iowa back mm-hmm. – uh, I think my bracket's pretty much done. Yeah. So don't catch yourself out. Good as subjective. Yeah, looking at the V eighty nine sports bracket here, you're not technically out. However, it would seem that everyone would have to have their teams and everyone in their final four apparently knocked out for you to have a glimmer of uh, having a good bracket. Yeah, I'm doing well in the V eighty nine sports bracket. That's the most important one. Yeah, but Kentucky's out. Your your champion's out. 
Correct. That's a problem. Correct. But, but you've, you've done wise. everything well. Yeah, besides that, you've done very well. <laughs> Thanks, I, I went chalk in terms of my final four. I actually had all number one seeds, so Baylor losing North Carolina was not. Hey, I'll explain why. Hold on. Now, while I didn't have St. Peter's going all the way, I had teams like Chattanooga beating Illinois, which almost so happened. Close. So, so close. That was so close to happening. I had Iowa State going to the Elite Eight, which is still um, still on for a good run here as they're going to play Miami. Um, I believe it's either Thursday or Friday. Um Bama was one that kind of made me upset because they're a hot or cold team. Either they're icy cold or burning hot. So it was really either they were going to lose that game to Notre Dame or they were going to go make a run to the Elite Eight. And I went Elite Eight. They chose not to agree. So they fell out. Um, But I have Kansas winning it. They're probably one of the most underrated teams in terms of teams who are, like, really good, like, sorry, amazing teams who are not getting, you know, the limelight or attention even as a one seed there Purdue and Tennessee and Auburn's were being thrown as more popular picks than Kansas. And I took, while it's a normal blue team and you know, all that I've, I seem to make a good pick in the moment. Obviously they could lose to Providence, um, sometime later. And then, uh, well, I'll, I'll have to shut up then. But other than that, um, I'm doing pretty well at the moment. So come back next week. Uh, it'll probably all be gone. William, any, any thoughts on the, the madness so far? I mean, I, I saw the LSU game and you know, I was surprised at how bad they looked. They they were looking like they couldn't make a bucket. They it's it's interesting to see how these teams just they they go through a whole season and you expect them to do so well, but then all of a sudden one game on the line and everything just seems to to go sideways. And I'm 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 excited to see the Elite Eight and, and the Final Four, of course. But uh, for now, it just seems like pretty unpredictable for the most part. Yeah, kind of the lens that I've been viewing this particular tournament through. Jim Beheim did an interview. I think like the day of like the first games and he was saying that um, nationally, whether it's coaches, universities, like the the tournament is when conferences are, are really won or lost. This is where teams are ultimately viewed by the public. This is how they're gauged. Um, and a couple of conferences that were held in really high esteem in the regular season have really collapsed here in the tournament. I look at the, the SEC being first and foremost, Kentucky dropping out, Auburn, who was at one time undefeated in the number one team in the land, they're out. Tennessee is out, Alabama and LSU had some quick exits. Arkansas, the Racerbacks, are the only team out of the 16 that left that uh, hail from the, the Southeastern Conference. Uh, the Big Ten has fallen flat too. Wisconsin and Illinois, two uh, really high seeds that people really liked going into the tournament. They're both out. Michigan has impressed as an 11, and you still got Purdue. Um, and then uh, the ACC, I think, has performed incredibly well. UNC, I think, could easily take it all. You've got Duke in there as well. Notre Dame was making it hard for a lot of people. Um, so I would say it's unfortunate that Florida State wasn't a part. But if anything, you kind of look back at that regular season and go, well, these are some of the best teams in the country that are whooping on everybody. And th- these are the teams that we were competing with. So maybe some take some solace in that. Yeah, there's been a, a lot more ACC propaganda ever since the, the tournament started. So. Maybe FSU wasn't as bad as we thought. Any thoughts on, on March Madness before we get into the, the F1 goodness? <laughs> I, I'm just going to do a quick um, little thing on what I think is going to happen in this Sweet 16 Elite Eight. So I think Gonzaga, they had to deep dig deep twice against, they were tied with Georgia State throughout most of that game in the first round, which would have been a huge upset. But uh, they, they came back from that, had a tight game, was I believe almost down by 10 against Memphis, came back from that. They're going to handle business, uh, knock out Duke, and make it their Final Four appearance, which almost seems like a given nowadays. Purdue has St. Peter's, everyone's favorite Cinderella. Mm. Um, 
It's America's team. America's team. Thank you. Um, the Cinderella will die. Um, uh, yeah, sorry to be the party pooper, but 15 seeds died to six, Sweet 16. You made the dance. Time to go. Purdue uh, should, not sweep, but uh, they'll get past them and then face either UCLA or UNC. I think UCLA, but ultimately, I think Purdue should get through and make another Final Four appearance. Zona, I think will um, Arizona will make a good run. Um, been kind of under the radar, kind of been not breezing through games, but they had a really good game the other night against TCU. I think I like these teams that have been battle-tested that are in the upper uh, seeds there, so I like Arizona to knock off Houston and then take down the winner of Michigan-Villanova. And then in the Midwest, I already have Kansas winning this whole thing, so I'm going to stand by that. However, I, do, I will say Iowa State can upset Miami, so everyone in Tallahassee, do not worry. I believe the uh, Hurricanes will fall at some point. And then Kansas will make a Final Four appearance. So I – excuse me, sorry. Gonzaga was a great tournament team until they were expected to be a great tournament team. They just cannot win the whole thing. They're still in, though. I know, but I, I just don't see them really I don't see them winning it. The elite, I can just see them elite, in the Final Four. I don't see them getting past the Elite Eight, honestly. Like you said, they've had a lot of – So they play either so Texas far. Tech or Duke? You yeah, think Duke I, can beat them? I don't, I don't think either of those teams will lose to Gonzaga. Okay. I do, the Duke thing I understand because it's Coach K, and the Coach K magic can you Texas know, pull Tech through. played very well against Texas. They did. Uh, twice. They beat them twice, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they did. And uh, both on the road in hostile environments and at home uh, with a great fan base, a lot of support. Texas Tech has been battle-tested already this year. Gonzaga's coming out of the West Coast Conference, I Which, believe. And that's their problem. But they've they, made they, the they, Final they, Four the last couple of years, and I'm going to – I'm just – I think they're going to do it. They just I could don't be wrong play in enough tough environments to get them battle-tested and prepared for They the get tournament. enough early-season games. They've had game, they have games against Duke. I think – I believe they fell to Duke, but yeah, I still think but, they can make the Final Four. But if you're not playing in a conference game that truly, you know, dictates how well you're going to do – throughout the season and you're not playing two of those games a week I just don't think that's that's sufficient enough for being a tournament team I think Gonzaga really needs to prove what they proved it last year the past couple years they made the national championship last year fell short to Baylor but they've 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 gone through this tournament multiple times and making final fours I don't see why they can't do it at least one more time I know but they've been a one seed how many times at least or at least a Three seed or below, how many times I won? I mean, I know we can't. Probably not often. Golly. I know they can't pull it up a lot, but off the top of my head, four or five times, three Probably. or better. Yeah. And they just can't get over the hump. And I just don't see them getting past the Elite Eight, especially with the road that they have in front of them. Uh, I'll break the deadlock. I'll, I'll go with Kansas. Uh, I think that's a solid pick. I almost went there. Well, so. I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's my pick. I'll throw out my final four because we'll be on the air just before the national championship kicks off next Monday. So I'll take Duke. UNC, Villanova, and Providence as my final four facing off in New Orleans. Dang, I can't believe the tournament's, the, the finals upon us that quickly, but I guess that is the end of March uh, heading out. Or no, it's the it's the following week, so you, you have the, the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight. We'll have a final four weekends. preview uh, next show. That's right, that's right. There we go. Sweet. Awesome. Great stuff, everyone. But, like I said, we have some F1 goodness to talk about, and Jack and I are super excited because... It's been, what, like three months since F1 was on? It's been three months, but it's felt like an eternity. I know. Oh, and look look who's here, Mr. Sebastian, walking into the booth right now to talk about how Ferrari went one and two for the first time in three years thanks to Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. Um, The deal, you know, 
they're in their second season together, I believe. And, they are. And, you know, they seem like a pretty good duo, but obviously Ferrari hasn't been in the top two and the top – they've been struggling to stay in the top three, for that matter of fact, last, you know, decade or so. So it seems like things are starting to trend up for them, especially when Red Bull, you know, they, they just have a complete mishap with their engines. That obviously gives them a little bit of a boost. And, you know, with, with you know, Hamilton and, and getting a, a new driver in there, Things at Mercedes might not be as they used to be, but Sebastian, what are some of your first thoughts? I know you have a Jack, lot to talk about. Jack, do you know this. what we learned this weekend? What did we learn? We learned that tanking in motorsport actually works. It does. If you are garbage for a year and a half and you just say, screw it, we're going to focus solely and exclusively on the car for the new regulations in 2022, it friggin' works, okay? Um, what we saw was um, not just the power unit, but the entire Ferrari package working like a dream. It's the first time we've been able to say that since 2018. Um, I don't care about 2019. That car was smoking mirrors, and we all knew that. Mm-hmm. Um, what we learned, that the power unit certainly went a long way, not just for Ferrari, but for the rest of its um, you know, uh, customer teams. That would be Alfa Romeo. That would be Haas, um, Haas Formula One. That would be... Uh, just them three. Just those three? Just, just them. Yeah. Um, so uh, because all three of those teams scored points um, last weekend, and the back markers this time around were all the Mercedes-powered units. The last, uh, b- the bottom six before there were incidents or teams who didn't finish were all Mercedes mm. cars, even the likes of McLaren, yeah. who were who won a race last year, uh, Aston Martin, who were expected to do better things, and, you know, back mm-hmm. markers for a while, Williams. For, for me, the uh, true driver of the day was... Uh, Kevin Magnuson, Return of the King. Mm. I am a. Uh, I have had to hide like a rat for the past two years as a Haas fan. Um, it's been very, very difficult to root uh, for them, uh, mainly because of title sponsor issues. Uh, and then last year with uh, the Mazepin mess. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is gone. We are back to the classic white, red, and black Haas uh, of 2017 and uh, 18 and, and 15. Mm-hmm. Or 16, sorry. Um we're back, baby. We're we're back. I am so glad that one of the original two, the core two, uh, K Mag and Grosjean, uh, K Mag is back. Um, Mick Schumacher was uh, very unlucky on the first corner of the uh, or second corner technically of the first lap of the race, where he got spun around by Esteban Ocon. Basically, hampered his race all the way through, um, just outside of the points, eleventh place. But he'll he'll get his points this season, and they'll come thick and fast. I think. Not ready to call them fourth place in the constructors so that's uh at the top of what we call formula 1.5 that's everybody but the big three uh but it will be exciting jack <sighs> yeah it really was what a weekend but um going away from the good stuff and all that ferrari magic the the it seems like the big losers and like i, I mentioned this prior was mercedes and especially mclaren who at one point were in 18th and 20th what a team who was winning races at one point and had a one two back in monza this is a complete downfall they've had braking issues throughout most of uh throughout most of the weekend uh one of their drivers daniel ricardo had covid during last week of testing so he was already behind and the car just is not going and it can't be placed sorely uh, solely on that mercedes uh power unit and all that and that engine because uh, the uh the three back markers there uh, have their own distinct issues what's, along with that what strikes me with the mclaren engine is that you heard on uh race control over race control that the McLaren engine struggled with heating. 
uh, Danny Danny could not come in at one point mm-hmm. early in the race when he wanted to pit early uh, because he had to cool his engine. He had to stay a, a whole lap longer. So it's not just a power unit thing, but it's also just a whole um, chassis situation. I don't know. I've never seen this hard of a come down. Um, this is worse than Ferraris. I, this is worse than Ferraris because you knew why Ferrari's power unit mm-hmm. um, was toned way down, and it's because they got into trouble um, back in 2019-20. That's why we called it spoken rears. It's because they were overtuning their engines, basically, uh, with um, a cheater fuel compound, basically. I'm not legally allowed to say that Ferrari cheated, but Ferrari cheated. Um, and they still couldn't win the... Uh, the world constructors. The world constructors, speaking of which, is in a very interesting spot because uh, Red Bull are now in a 50-plus point hole to their competitors. Mm-hmm. Um, Mercedes has their foot in the door and will remain relevant in the top six conversation because Russell's shown that he can do enough, just like Bottas was able to do enough. Um, uh, Hamilton is still Hamilton, and the... Uh, the guys with a big, big uh, target on their backs are obviously Ferrari, but so it seems like uh, in some ways we have a big three. Uh, it's back. It's always at, it never left. It never, yeah, it never left. But um, Mercedes appear to be the third best team at the moment, which has been unusual really since uh, since the last big era change uh, back in fourteen. Because when was the last time you could actually trust them to say, "Hey, there's some major issues with the car. We promise we're not going to be good this Probably year." Since we 13. promise, definitely, absolutely since thirteen. Yep. Uh, this is the first time that Mercedes looks like they're on the back foot in the hybrid, uh, the turbo hybrid era. Yep. It's really it. interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some new fra- faces as well. With um, I'm gonna mispronounce his name, but Guan Yu Zhu. Zhou Guan Yu. Zhou Guan Yu. Yeah. That Guan Yu Zhou, as they <laughs> said on the broadcast. Uh, super interesting that I was able to take away a point. Uh, probably like a that's a great. Great start for a rookie, just being able to sneak away with a point. Yeah, you know, not many teams start as maybe the ninth, or you don't. Not many teams go in as the ninth best team and come mm-hmm. out earning a point. That's very, yeah. very rare. But uh, good on him. First Chinese driver ever in Formula One, and exactly. uh, in this first race for China, he gets a Formula One point, which is very valuable. And considering they scored nine points as a whole yesterday, thirteen the entire year last year. Yeah. So already making up that deficit. Yeah. yeah, Jack, do you remember back? Or I know you weren't watching Formula One, but have you ever gone back and watched um, like review season reviews from 2014 with Williams? I've looked that up. Yes. Uh, where where Williams and uh, Alfa Romeo, Guan Yu Zhou's uh, team, alongside Valtteri Bottas, um, there are some similarities between uh, this year's Alfa Romeo and that year's 2014's Williams mm. uh, Formula One team. They have this really peppy. Uh, engine that seems like it's working well, but they've also got the drivers and the aero kit to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, they are now my dark horse for uh, best of the rest out of the uh, big three. I honestly think that they could keep it together longer than um, Haas can right now because I'm worried for Haas specifically that the adjustments they'll have to make to the chassis later on in the season as more uh, teams bring in upgrades, like McLaren, mm-hmm. which is why I'm not worried about them in the slightest. Um, I... I I think they'll struggle to keep up because that's always what's happened to them. Mm-hmm. They've come out early, thick and fast, which means they can sneak away with P4s and P5s in places like Bahrain and Austria. But when it comes to the back half of the season, they just don't have that same speed. But if we, you know, if those are predictions for best of the rest, then we're in for quite a season. And since that's we don't, do. we don't even know who's going to be on top of the instructors, drivers, or we don't know where anybody is. It's a complete mix-up. And that's going to make it exciting for the rest of the 21 or 22 rests. And we've uh, got a lot of races ahead of yeah. us. We yep. still have like a full season's worth. Um, the most races out of any season ever. 
Uh, it's like last year's NFL tagline, the biggest season ever. Yep. Um, what what strikes me is that that means there's going to be a, a pile of data points, and these cars are not going to look the same on the other side when we get back here to the Middle East with Abu Dhabi at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be quite the season. I'm I'm really excited, obviously, with the teams, you know, fighting for it, but obviously also the drivers. There's just so many great uh, former drivers, new drivers. It seems like a, a not a changing of the guard, but another exciting season where you know you get to see some of your favorites and you get to see some of the younger guys stepping into the role of you know the 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 people that are going to take over eventually with Charles Leclerc and you know obviously Lando didn't have a great you know first race but he's still primed to be one of the 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 future F1 drivers that are gonna uh you know be 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 primed to to be in in those top three the the P3s so the fun thing about that is that it looks like, at least right now, that nobody stinks yeah. in terms of uh, on the driver's side. The car side, we have yet to see, yet to see especially with Williams. I'm very – I think they haven't improved enough, and it's showing. It showed almost immediately. Um, but uh, Albon, we know what he's capable of when he's in an underpowered car. He can punch up a, uh, a weight above his weight class. And we know that um, Latifi, even though he is a pay driver, he's not insane. Uh, he's not um, – Oh, he's not Mazepin. Let's just put it like that, yeah. honestly. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to do hard pivot, kind of running a little bit long in the show, but there's so much to talk about. We have to talk about the return of MLB. You know, we, we were talking for the last two or three shows, I believe, about how, you know, they weren't able to get a deal. But if it's finally here and, you know, baseball fans can rejoice, and one of them, of course, is our co-host, William. How is it? How is the season playing out so far? It's really interesting because in a traditional free agency period, you know, you can sign and make trades right after the World Series. So you're, you're talking about mid-November. There's a lot of moves being made. And then, you know, by the, the by the New Year, January, most of the moves are done, you know, what the teams are going into the year. This one is different. Um, there were some moves made, but right before that, that December 1st, you know, deadline where the lockout began. And so until de- December 1st, all the way until a couple weeks ago, there was no moves able to be made. Well, we're just a couple of weeks away from the regular season, so the hot stove has been really hotter than ever in baseball. We saw Trevor Story, uh, uh, typically been a shortstop. He signed with Boston yesterday, got $140 million. It'll be interesting to see if he plays at shortstop. They have a, a shortstop that's been there in Xander Bogarts for a long time, but he stated he's willing to move out to second or third base, wherever he needs to play uh, to make that infield work. There was also a really interesting thing that happened between the Twins and the Yankees, uh, that the Twins trading away third baseman Josh Donaldson to the Yankees in what was essentially a salary dump. This guy's making a lot of money, is not having the production, and the Yankees only got a couple of role players in return. And that free money for the Twins allowed them to sign a free agent that the Yankees wanted in Carlos Correa. They gave a three-year deal. That was the biggest shocker. Jack had talked earlier about Freddie Freeman, the longtime Brave, finally delivered them a World Series ring, played fantastic in that postseason. He's off to the Dodgers in in a a six-year deal that's likely going to finish out his career. The Rays were in the running down the stretch, but ultimately Los Angeles won that bidding war. And also the Oakland Athletics, kind of the poster child for uh, the Moneyball, you know, the, the movie that was made after them, the book. Um, you know, you, you always bring up Oakland when you're talking about a small market team that that can't keep up with money. They're in a full-blown fire sale. They've, they've traded away their all-star corner infielders. Matt Olson replaces Freddie Freeman in Atlanta. They trade Matt Chapman, the all-world third baseman, to the Toronto Blue Jays and a team that might be the favorites in the American League East. As of right now, there's some pitchers that might be out the door as well. So 
Uh, still a lot of moves still to be made. Uh, opening day is slated for uh, April 7th, so we're looking uh, really good for that, really excited, um, and, and really, uh, like I said, the hottest of hot stoves I've seen in quite a while. Well, I will say, I don't know how much the media is going to, you know, talk about this right when it happened, but I think it's absolutely nuts they're banning the shift. I think it's absolutely crazy that they're banning the shift. And I was talking to my dad about it, and he was saying, oh, the uh, the old heads, they're probably, you know, freaking out about it. And I was like, you know, I'm not entirely sure because I know there's plenty of old heads that probably hate the shift, and they're probably excited to see it banned just because shifts weren't really a phenomenon as much as they are until probably, what, last 10 years? Well, the reason why it became a thing is because back back in the day you couldn't really do a full-blown shift, you know, a three-man infield or whatever, because the guy at the plate would just hit the ball the other way. Hit him, yeah. hit him where they ain't is what they used to say. And nowadays, especially from the left side, the the, the organizational philosophy, these teams are, are signing players internationally, drafting them out of high school. From the moment they begin professional baseball, we don't care about you hitting the other way. Just hit the ball really hard, hit a lot of home runs, and you've got guys like Joey Gallo who are grounding out to the right side basically every at-bat. And because of that, you're able to just shift over there. Um, to me, I, I think it, it's done totally backwards. Um, t- to ban the shift because players can't basically do their job, that's insane. Why Why are we doing no, that? I agree Instead, 100%. The, the players should have to play within the existing rules. Why are we changing the rules to meet um, the inefficiency of the player? That, that to me, really bugs me. No, no, I agree 100%. Why are we changing the rules because players want to fill out their incentives? You know, and, and was, that a, was, that, was that a PA thing that they wanted on the table, or was that... An owner's decision. That was the owners brought up. They want more balls put into play, make the games more interesting, make the games quicker. Really? That was something that the players were actually against, but they relented because there was all kinds of things that needed to be compromised on. See, you said, see, that's what I don't understand about people like Rob Manfred. They want more offense, but they want the games to be shorter. (laughs) You can't have both. You're right. (laughs) I can't think of another analogy that's as stupid as that one. It it is literally it makes no sense to me. But sorry, go if we want to go back to the hot stove, we can. I apologize. I mean, we we hit all all the quick points. I would say I know people that listen to the show. People we've had, you know, can be more race centric. I tend to be more about the race. There were moves that the Rays could have made. They decided to stand pat. They let a couple of free agents walk. They didn't make any major trades. Um, and Toronto, I think, you know, everyone wants to talk about the Yankees and the Red Sox. To me, the Blue Jays are a team that is on my radar that I'm worried about. They have probably the best infield in baseball. <laughs> They've added a lot of really good starting pitching as well. Well, it has to be the hardest division I've ever seen. Well, because we've had the big three for the past three years in in the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Rays, but now you're adding a a real Blue Jays team, and then you never know about the Orioles. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I mean, you got four teams that could really win the whole thing, and we have no clue who. And you look across the board, I mean, the American League Central, which was a laughing stock for years, now Detroit is back, Minnesota is back in the mix. Um, you know, you've got the the, Chicago, uh, the Cleveland Guardians and the Chicago White Sox. All across baseball, all these divisions are going to be super competitive. I mean, for a you know, post-lockout season, <laughs> the fans are in for a real treat this year. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know much about baseball, but it seems like a lot is going on. I'm not going to get into it, but one thing that I do want to get into before the show wraps up is El Clasico, because... My favorite team, Barcelona, schlacked, destroyed, absolutely whooped Real Madrid, Real Madrid for Will, or for for Jackson. Which just means real. It just means real. <laughs> if you didn't know that, but uh, yeah, they won four nil. 
on their home turf. I mean, they were on an 11-game unbeaten streak. Barcelona was. But Madrid was also on a five-game unbeaten streak. They just beat PSG 3-0. <laughs> I mean, they, they're winning La Liga by an, basically a 12-point margin. And Barcelona came in with a head coach who's only been there for two months. And they absolutely destroyed them, obviously. Green Benzema and uh, Ferland Mendy, two starters, they weren't there. But at the same time, they were still not expected to be destroyed in this manner. And I, I'm beyond happy about it. But I think it, it, it definitely starts to, to beg the question, like, is this more about Xavi? Is this more about Madrid? Jack, what did you see from, from, from the game? So this is a game that's not for this season. This is a game that could be a testament going forward. Exactly. So um, we were saying earlier how Ferrari's back. Is this the sort of game mm. where it makes you think, hey, is Barcelona back? Granted, they're in the Europa League, so it's an expectation to win that. Granted, they shouldn't even be in that tournament. But um, I think they're heading, they're definitely trending the right direction. Five straight wins now. Um, and there's no better way to get the players, the fans, and you know, the board behind you then battering your rivals for nothing. Um, one thing that really caught my attention was obviously uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang with two goals. Uh, he had a header and then a late one to seal the deal at that point. Um, and he posted something about that was a little controversial, but something about how he was a forgotten player or a, uh, a problem at Arsenal, Oof. poking fun at the Gunners there. But uh, no, he's. I was worried about him going to Barcelona and him being a problem. Sure enough, he is not. He has been the exact opposite. He is part of this rejuvenation, part of this new Barca team that maybe um, won't challenge La Liga. No one's expecting that of them. Real Madrid should run away with it, but there's no reason why they can't do it next season and threaten further. They have a great foundation they're building with Xavi, and to see them challenging for the title and then maybe a Champions League in the near future is uh, definitely now uh, realistic. Yeah, a lot has been made about how these two teams, you know, they were so dominant for the last decade or so. And both teams, they, they had a lot of old players that they were just unwilling to get rid of because either they were too expensive for other teams to buy or they just they just meant so much for the, the team itself. And, you know, you look at players like Modric and Cruz and, and Casemiro, kind of the, the heart of Madrid, they're still there. And they're not playing bad necessarily, but the rest of the team, they can't carry them. And, and so uh, when you look at Barcelona, they're still kind of what they used to be, but the problem is, they're getting young with Pedri and, and, and you know some of the other players. They're starting to move into that next generation, which I think Madrid has not been as willing to do, and that's kind of part of the, the, the coach that they have, Carlo Ancelotti. He's more of a, an, an old gun, uh, where Xavi is just, you know, obviously he's trying to bring back the old ways, but in a youthful way. So I'm really excited to see what Barcelona does, not just the rest of this season, but going forward. I mean, they're, they're making it as close as anybody could have dreamt of before. They had a nine point. They have a nine point lead, uh, lead Madrid right now. Currently, um, that Barcelona can make it. They can make it a nine point lead with a game in hand. So it's still very much Madrid's La Liga to lose. But at the same time, like you said, Jack, this is a game that just it might send a lot of fear into Madrid's fans because they've seen this style of play before. They've seen how Xavi and Iniesta used to run around the middle of the park, and we know with Pedri and Frankie there. They they just look like they're in 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 Gavi. I mean, there's so much to be excited about for Barcelona fans. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to talk about it too much more because we are running 15 minutes long. Don't tell anybody. But for William, for Jackson, for Jack, for Sebastian, for Scott, for everyone else in the station, you've been listening to WVFS Tallahassee.
the voice of Florida State.